I thought I was on another world. From the land beyond beyond. I must have passed through the time warp. 60 years plus. Tune in for an hour of sci-fi vibes and alien realms between on the homing beacon. Transmitting to Earth every Wednesday afternoon from 2 to 3 on Shady Pines Radio. Good. It's all going according to plan. Welcome aboard the Station Wagon. Every Sunday at the crack of noon, Pacific Time, Callie and Brian, that's me, I'm Brian, invite a musical guest on the air to hang out and play some tunes. So tune in each week, drop some coins in the virtual tip jar, and get your Sunday afternoon live music fix on Shady Pines Radio. You ever see, um, like, there was a show in the 90s called 90 Minutes that yeah. had all the alternative bands. Right. And a couple times, the Butthole Surfers hosted the show. Right. And you can see them <laughs> occupying that space right in between being inspired shaman and corporate whores. Right. And, and acknowledging it. Right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. That was definitely a good thing in the 90s. You never really had that before. You had like kind of kiss assier people that pretend to be the bad boy like on camera, but the ball surfers like like you're saying, um, they didn't really know how to be self-conscious, or they were just riding out that uh, that sort of. They had pushed themselves so far in their experience. Where starting in '82, they made a goal of dosing acid for every performance. Yeah, and. The impression is that this persisted like to about 88. So from 82 to 88, they were just saturating themselves in this indulgent madness informed by a kind of socio-political intelligence. And so by the time they end up on MTV in the early 90s, they are just broiled right. into this mythos and this persona. Right. And uh, Gibby is uh, doing heroin at this time. And so. Do you know much about the background story of the Buffalo Surfers? I know some of it, but I honestly don't know a ton about it. Even though, like, mm-hmm. I, I love them, and I mainly just listen to their music, and I, I look them up on YouTube a bit, but, like, I don't know much of right. the history of the band. Yeah, they're in, it's yeah. inspiring psychedelic punk uh, catharsis stuff, but uh, Gibby was uh, an accountant. He graduated from college in accounting and got a job with one of the biggest accounting firms in the world there in Texas.
he was also the captain of the basketball team in high school. But at some point, this other aesthetic interest of him came out where he created a magazine called Strange VD with twisted pictures of mutilated genitalia and stuff like that. And they caught the copier machine at work with one of the issues of Strange VD. <laughs> And that kind of pushed him further out of that white-collar realm and more into that psychedelic saturation scene in, with Paul Leary, yeah. the guitar player, yeah. was a compatriot of his at that time, and also uh, strangely very adroit as a guy in the world doing things and making money, but uh, that adroitness eventually became part of the inspiration for them to be these sort of fun, nihilist, aesthetic terrorists, right. and this, the dedication to LSD in right. like the 80s, where there was like a heavy uh, sort of uh, simulation sense to reality. Right. Things were just a lot heavier and harder than it was in the 60s. And so mm. that whole psychedelic punk yeah. thing, there's a, a uniquely kind of oily darkness there. Right. There's a real... Like the new evidence of Dionysus. There are these For other sure, bands. Yeah. Um, you ever heard of Missing Foundation or Big Stick? No, I don't think I have. Well, then this is more of that fun nihilism that occurred in like the mid to late years, yeah. no, um, where that people were pointedly uh, indulging themselves in property destruction at shows. Uh, guys would set themselves on fire the audience and it was like a real uh, renaissance of that Dada spirit from the, almost a hundred years ago now, more than a hundred years ago, yeah. but uh, where the entirety of existence is absurd, but you find a way to be uh, creative and living an actualized existence within that absurdity. Right. So Missing Foundation were like a violent industrial band in New York same early mid 80s period and uh, Big Stick was a more crass kind of white trashy variant of that or, and then Pussy Galore is included um, in sort of the Venn diagram of how that plays out. And Pussy Galore is perhaps a name that resonates? Yeah, okay, like right. Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth was in that band I think. Or she had a strong association like with Pussy Galore. Yeah. Pussy was Galore. That, um, was that John Spencer. John Spencer, yeah. then the John Spencer Blues Explosion, yeah. but it was he was the guy who started Pussy Galore. And it's another example of someone who's actually sort of Ivy League adjacent bourgeois indulging their Dionysian creative impulse and coming up with a product that is lucrative. Right. And right. and then also cathartic right. in what they're doing. Yeah. That early Pussy Galore, like right now Groovy hate fuck is just so alive with that same messed up acid punk uh, aesthetic that uh, really shares a similar space with Butthole Surfers, just not as far out. Right, right. Not like, you know, like the Moog sound effect right, far out right. of Butthole Surfers, <laughs> which brings them to an entirely greater level. They did a cover of that Donovan song. Oh, yeah. That, I played it on the first episode of the show. Yeah. Pretty Gertie Man. Pretty yeah, Gertie. I love that. It's one, maybe my favorite cover of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you ever exaggerate it? That, um, 
record, so when I first moved to Seattle, my whole band left and I stayed from uh, Pennsylvania and I ended up living in this house. And these, these guys were all metalheads. And uh, I, I was just looking through the records, there was like a record player in the living room. And then uh, I saw this yellow vinyl and it said, Butthole Surfers, Hurdy Gurdy Man. And like, so before that, in Pennsylvania, I was doing a lot of acid. And I had a Donovan record and we just like put it on. And uh, I was like, holy shit, this is crazy, these two worlds. And then when I put it on and I heard that thing with his voice and how exaggerated that whole cover was, it got my brain going and it, that, like, I was headed in that direction, but I feel like that moment and hearing that song on that record in that house, like, it did something to my brain. To, it, like, broke my brain free creatively. It was like, let's go further. Yeah, let's, wild. like, not be afraid. Yeah. And also, I was on my own with no money, living with people I didn't know. I stopped talking to my family, and it was like, just let go and just become whatever you're going to become. So, yeah, I have a whole weird relationship with that song. That's great. So the yeah. entire like rite of passage. It was a rite of passage for that sure. Fun nihilist yeah. Dionysian uh, creative impulse league of champions. Yeah, that you arrive at via LSD. It de- it definitely made my brain more anarchist. I guess you would say like mm-hmm. it's not like I was just a, a weirdo like living in the basement at that point. But even like I got a job at a bakery and like. I don't know, just, just the way going from being in, like, innocent Pennsylvania but still being, like, a total fucking weirdo. Like, even just the way I talked to people I didn't know, I didn't care. I was like, I'm going to say some off-the-wall shit. Yeah. What's, what's going to happen? Like, I mean, maybe I'll get fired. Who cares? And I'll just move on and keep doing what I'm doing. You know, it was just that. It just freed, freed me, and it's like, it is true. It's like, the freedom is in your mind. I mean, it, it's kind of weird, but... It's one of my favorite Charles Manson quotes. Somebody's like, uh, you know, do you miss freedom? And he's like, I'm, I'm free every day in my mind. Like, you know, yes. I'm here in this jail, but like, I'm not really here. And like, well, it's like, yeah, it's, it's Charles it's not, Manson. It's not so like, much that there's any freedom. It's just that everybody's in prison. Everybody's and in everybody's prison. Everybody's in prison. That's, what That's what's say. really going yeah, on. Yeah. Like, nobody's free. Right. <laughs> the freedom. Everybody's right. in prison. Yeah. That uh, resonates with the Foucault came up with this uh, term, the prison of ordered time. So when you have a job and you have to get there by a particular time, you are now within the prison of ordered time. Right. This is perhaps the flagship representation of that phenomena. The prison of ordered time. So everything's in prison. So we're all in prison, man. And somehow that has like this fun LSD edge to it. Okay, so we're all in prison, and now there's going to be like a you know, special little secret society of us who are going to approach this, this situation, this problem. You know, that's always been like the fun implication of the LSD experience when you have that kind of cathartic rite of passage breakthrough, is that you uh, sense that you belong to a loose association of people right. uh, sharing that same you know, aesthetic, emotive, cathartic experience. And that's where I think uh, like the Dadaists find a renaissance of that energy in that early 80s punk. Sure. So it's the same archetypal right. force blossoming at different points in history. Yeah. I think a lot of that too, it, become, it comes from like 
the the repression of the time right before that. So, but yeah, the necessary you know, choking to get to the expulsion of the right. shit. Uh-huh. People are just yeah. fucking fed up, and then they think that like they're the only person that's like that. And they meet this guy, and this guy, and this guy gives them a drug, and that guy gives them a record and a book. And mm-hmm. That um, the chosen one archetype narrative right. that just leaks into our uh, life all the time. So many movies and right. just narratives that apply to any genre or medium. The chosen one right. with this like hyper consumer satisfaction that you, the one consuming that information, are the chosen one. You know the degree to which you uh, can feel that or manifest that right. is so uh, interesting within like that LSD catharsis scenario. Yeah, I definitely went through that. Uh, like I said, when, when like right before I came out here, um, it's fun. Yeah, it's funny to say like talking about that that record. It's like it's like I was right there, but I still needed that last like just that last little push to be like. You're not in the same reality as the average dumbass anymore. You're now in this other realm. <laughs> but um, my band in Pennsylvania, we, you know, we were like a noise band. We were kind of like the ball surfers, but like we weren't. I, I just didn't want to um, do anything heavy. I was over just that turn, turn, turn. That's turn. interesting. Yeah. So, what was the ideal aesthetic for you at that time? I essentially just didn't really use power chords, but it was like, um... Isn't that kind of like Fleet Foxes elitist in a way? And it's in its own, like, it could be. Uh, contrived oh, simplicity? Yeah, that, but, but that's definitely still very, more but pretentious. It's fascinating. Yeah. fascinating. I mean, I was like 19, 20 sure. years old, you know. So, um, like, the Cure and No, Bauhaus? not even that. It was more like, uh... I always say it was more like um, Pink Floyd meets Sonic Youth kind of thing. So oh, it's like okay. trippy psychedelics, like Pink slower, but uh, there's a prog. There's a prog aspect to this reference you make, although not too much. Prog at not all, prog, but well, Sonic maybe Youth and Pink it, Floyd. It, yeah. It's definitely yeah. like psychedelic concrete. Right. With the Sonic Youth part, absolutely. But the uh, chamber room elegance of Pink Floyd with like this harpsichord uh, pleasantries. I yeah. like that aspect of psychedelia, where it's sort of ornate, baroque chamber right. music passages. You know, it's uh, yeah. sort of reinforces the elegance of the whole thing, which is interesting because with like the butthole surfers or crash worship right. or missing foundation, there is a complete obliteration of the elegance. As if one's attachment yeah. to elegance were uh, surrender to capitalism or elitism, you know? It's, that's the way these associations work themselves out. Right. Yeah. We just did not give a shit. <laughs> we did not give the shit, as it were. You know, because we have people being like, if you just did this or that, even to this day, I think back and I'm like, because we had a lot of potential. I mean, we, we could have been on a few labels, but uh, I'm like... Well, fuck if we would have just used power chords, we'd be like, 
household so, name now. Right. So this contrived choice to not give in to these simplistic it, machinations, it was, yeah. which I've seen other yeah. musicians do. Right. Right. With, you know, you right. look at what uh, you know Nick and Keith do, and it's so bone simple, right. and they keep doing it. Right. But they are aware of the archetypal power going on with those chords. So, but I can appreciate the desire to do something entirely different. For me, it was just like, I would just get an idea for a song, and it didn't matter if it was like a jazz song or this kind of song, and then just record it. And Because I guess I was just at a, a point in my life getting away from my family, and I had to become my own person. And also, I was like, I don't know what kind of music to play. I don't want to. I don't want to have to pick something and then be that. <laughs> I just want to be open. And then, you know, eventually we had like our own sound, but it took a long time to get there. But we just lived in this garage and, and ate acid and had had no money. And eventually we lost our jobs. We cool. just kept going doing shows and used cocaine. I mean, I had to do coke because I was just like tired all the time. But the, my friend uh, was a coke dealer, so he had the best shit. So I just hit a couple lines. Like I had eight hours of sleep and ready to go. And also I'm like, 20, 21 years old, you just go forever, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, exactly. that could You're destructive in the morning, yeah. it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, I like the idea of using cocaine. I, work just puts me to sleep anymore. It's, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, when's the last time you did cocaine? Shit, probably like right before the first lockdown. I, I no, that's a while yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. I try not to do it anymore. My lady doesn't really like it. She, she doesn't mind that I do it. She's just like super against it. And I know it's like ultimately bad for me, but my life over the last like two months just working a lot, I'm like, man, if I just had some coke, I could really get through. But I guess being older, I'm trying to learn how to like not do that. Mm -hmm. But I do drink a lot of energy drinks, so, I mean, that's not really much better. But it's just weird being like, like, I can't really do coughing anymore. Especially at work, it just makes my guts feel all weird. Yeah, and that and coffee get all, like, is scratchy. so gross to yeah. me. It's like chemical dirt. Like Marlboro Lights and right. coffee have the same residual right. sense in my palate. It stays yeah. in your system. But the point is, work yeah. sucks. Right. You have to, like... Uh, gin up this artificial energy to mm. uh, accommodate the ordered prison of time. Exactly, yeah. And with the job. And so, uh, with the work sucks thing, I wonder if there are a lot of people who like occasionally have obscene outbursts at like uh, workplace um, functionaries, you know, human resources people and recruiters. Because there's this thing called Lenza. I mentioned this before, where they try to find you jobs, and at one point I just sent them an email like, just get me a fucking job downtown that doesn't suck. Yeah. And they sent back, uh, please refrain from using profanity. Because you said suck? Fuck. Oh. Just get me oh. a fucking job oh, downtown. Oh, fuck you said fucking job. Fucking yeah, job doesn't suck. <laughs> and so they said, please don't use profanity. And so I responded. I reply? sent this email to <laughs> the guy, Daniel Kowalski, who's uh, got, like, this in his pick, which is like tasteful black and white, he looks like um, oh, yeah. somebody on in a commercial for insurance pretending to be a 70s street detective. And he runs this like afro company. mustache. He's just part of Lenza. Yeah. And so, uh, thank you for your email. 
Please let us know how we can assist you, and please refrain from using profanity. You said it again, huh? Thank you for your cooperation and understanding. <laughs> Best, which I think is pretty cool and snazzy, because up to now, with him doing that, you had to say, uh, wishing you the best, mm -hmm. or all the best, but now you can just go, best, and is it a metonym for the entire phrase, just go best, so mm -hmm. that's cool, like anyway, that. best, Daniel Kowalski, career advocate at Lenza. <laughs> so, I wonder if there's other people who do this kind of sabotage on the politeness you're required to execute within the job search of that uh, low-level, white-collar information management jibber-jabber, you know? So yeah. I wonder how often other people have little outbursts like that. Well, the lens of the sound, whatever that is, it sounds like something you don't have to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's like, oh, we're going to send it to the lens of building, like, oh, what the fuck is this? It's the lenses, the uh, <laughs> 1984 room 101. Exactly. Lenses probably has their office in this hotel. Room <laughs> oh, 101. So do you have... Do you have a hard time finding a job then because of your record? Or? Yes, sir. Okay. That record, that. the background yeah, check yeah. is a thing that's... It's hard enough to find a job as it is. Problematic, yeah. Um, and then you're eventually surprised at uh, the degree to which people uh, express no consternation or problem with it. Like, and it's just like in true bourgeois fashion, right. I never actually have to engage whatever entity has the enmity for me. Gotcha. Everyone is like, oh, hoping it all comes through. Blah, blah, blah. It's entirely out of our hands. And it's sort of like, if you... So you don't really get interviews? Or I get interviewed, oh. no. But when a rejection occurs, yeah. it's all very polite. You know? <laughs> It's all very polite. Like stupid polite. Like polite. And it's sweet. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like if I was a wealthy person who had a home and I had a party and I used security personnel on the grounds and then somebody was getting kicked out of the party for whatever reason, secretly I'm into it. I'm probably the reason why. Yeah. But when they complain to me, why are they being kicked out of the party? I can say, oh, it's security made the decision. It's mm. out of my hands. Mm. I wish it was different. Have a good night. Right. You know, it's I hate that, this shit. that is the best. That is the oh perfect, you know, example of the bourgeois right. power where you don't have to endure any of the nastiness. Right. And so oftentimes there's a working class enjoyment of confrontation. People dig in. Right. to insulting each other sure. and they kind of uh, develop a community within that, like a bond. Even yeah. like on a working class level, you have an ugly confrontation with somebody. It's often a bonding experience in the end. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'm really tired of people trying to bond with me in that manner. <laughs> I think it's really fucking childish. And yes! Just the way I am, people think like, the way to say hello to me is tell me to fuck off. Or hey, something. fuck off! It's like if you're my friend, you say whatever. <laughs> but if I don't, if I don't know you, don't come up to me like, oh, hey, outlaw, what the fuck? What the fuck's up with you? Are you that outlaw guy? Like, dude, just yeah, don't. And, and like, they're indulging like right. the cheapest, most base part right, of the association right. narrative with it. Yeah, and uh, going with it. Yeah, well, that's 
that's the price of fame. Right. It's not. It's <laughs> not just. I get. Yeah. That's the outlaw end. But yeah, on a personal level, it can be like that too. Like, just the other day, this this kind of punk rock guy. I know. I think. I feel like it's everybody I know these days. Like this kind of punk rock. And like, <laughs> maybe we can talk about like what punk rock really is and how it's just like meaningless fucking thing where it comes up in my life and it's just a good adjective. But uh, yeah, I mean, he seems like a nice guy. And all but, uh, he gave me the fist bump and I'm like, hey, how you doing? Whatever. He's like, yeah, I saw you the other day walking at you. Like, oh, cool, man. Like, yeah, I saw some guy with like slick hair and his hair looked like a comb over and he's like all shiny and like, okay, so you're trying to talk shit about my hair? I don't really give a fuck. But also, what are you doing right now? You just gave me a fist bump, and now you're sort of making fun of me. And like, I, I kind of walk around with like, I've been thinking about this lately because I'm really into like mafia documentaries and mafia sure. movies, and I sort of have a mafia mentality, and maybe it's being from the East Coast. But to me, that's like an insult, and that's a way of communicating of like, so you want to get into some shit with me. That's where my mind goes. But like, yeah. I don't do it, I'm old enough now, I know how to, it's much easier to deflect. And both of my jobs that I have now require, where I'm dealing with the public a lot, and I'm dealing with a lot of people, and a lot of new people. And yeah, but being a new person, people try to give me shit, and if they want to persist, I can really, of course, you know, turn the flame up, but now it's just better to be like, Okay, whatever. Here's what's going on. Like, like yeah. not, not even acknowledge it. Be like, okay, here's your beer, man. Cool. Or like, cool, yeah. Like, you saw me the other day. But in my head, it's like, fuck you. But I'm also very good at this super underhanded comment later, which yeah. I'll, I'll hold on to. Mm -hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of Henry Rollins. He would be a good example. He's an example, I think, of someone living yeah. that, that sort of thing. So, like, the easiest thing to play at being elitist is to indulge self-deprecation. Right. Somebody insults me, I agree with them, and maybe take it a step further. Not only am I blah, but blue doo 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 Which, right. the subtext is, I'm so far above this that I get a kick out of participating in my own degradation. Sure. And so that can be just goal for any right. scenario, but you gotta be in the mood for it. You right. gotta be in this kind of like trickster right. uh, flotation mode, right. you know? And where you don't really feel any stings at all, and you gotta enjoy them. Right. So that's the easiest way to indulge one's elitism. Because it's a very working class impulse to fight that. Right, right. right? Directly confrontation, sure. you know? But, um, so, and you can't really do uh, self-deprecation all the time. Sure, yeah. But when you can, right. you should, because it's so Wait, cool. No! Yeah.
it's but then beyond that, then uh, the, the thing that really stands out for me here is uh, how pleasurable revenge is. When we think about the pursuit of pleasure, you know what we really want like that pleasure, not just happiness, but pleasure right. and being in pleasure and enjoying it. Right. Revenge is such a supreme pleasure; it practically rivals sex. Right. So. Uh, Revenge as pleasure is such a fascinating equation. Because I know how it's so true. It's so correct. And so what does that mean? That revenge equals pleasure. Because that is the most important thing ever. Because my other thing that occurs to me is power equals joy. Revenge equals pleasure. I I think joy is an interesting word. Yeah. The way I think it has so many meanings. I think when I think of joy, I think of old women watering their flowers. And then when you say revenge is joy, that See, it's like, I know what you're saying. How it all but lines it's up like, that way. If but not revenge just you, is pleasure and yeah. power is joy. Right. Joy is right. pleasure. Revenge is right. pleasurable power joy. I think for me, like I would say, like my cat and my lady are joy. Yeah. That would yeah, be joy. it's almost like thick. Right. Beyond caring for right, existence, right. it's so nice. You don't even think about how good it is. Yeah, it's you're just you're there. You're, you're, you're in it. Right. Yeah, you're cool. And then I would say, like, you know, pleasure for me would be listening to a Lou Reed record. Exactly. Well, maybe not the whole surfers. That's a different kind of. But you know what I'm saying. Right. There is a <laughs> certain <laughs> kind of detached, <laughs> pleasurable nihilism that I think is achieved Sometimes with that more so literary. Stuff like the Lou Reed that you referred to, yeah. and even Leonard so Cohen, sure. that hits that vibe of floating above the tragedy but commenting on it in an ironic, bittersweet fashion. It's such a beautiful position for yeah. the writer or artist to be in. Yeah, it's interesting because these are things I roll around in my mind, and it's just the way my mind is. So it's like, um, it's interesting that you're putting all this into words and definitions because I've never really like been able to quite get there because mm-hmm. it's so rare to meet someone that can go that distance or be like, right. oh, that's stupid. Let's watch a football game. That's some fucked up shit. Yeah, that's some fucked up shit, man. Like, I've had that yeah, yeah. going on recently <laughs> as well where there's some like really obscure, dark cultural reference points I'll make and I find someone who's able to go into some uh, like comparative depth right. regarding the, the topic where um, there's this podcast called Red Scare with these kind of like post-left all dark political chicks commenting on shit okay. Anna Kachian and Dasha Nekrasova and real mercurial intelligence that uh, Anna Kachian has regarding everything going on with, with the left and the right come together layers of the political landscape and then also commenting on social shit you know Kanye's gay now because he wants to date an artist and uh, so I was just so into how intelligent and mercurial she was and I said this to this guy uh, the mercurial intelligence of Anna Kachi and he comes back with me well, that just means MTV has won and so I've never had encountered this level of critique dialogue before where there's a refutation but a refutation that's really informed with 
the immediate residents here. MTV has won. You know, what does that mean? That right. my, I'm into this constantly shifting cleverness. MTV has won. Which, I think it's fine to have pleasure in the aesthetic, as long as I am actually doing what? Content. You know, making it meaningful, or as opposed to just consumer's pleasure. Well, I think MTV is interesting to bring up. Because I realize as I get older, it's like... I'm not the kind of person, like I said when I was talking about people that still do interviews, like they're in a 90s band. Like I'm not, I like to move forward and I like to just be in my own world and have my own evolution. But um, I do realize getting older that you do, you, get, you just kind of get behind because you just don't care as much. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about, like I was looking up Kurt Cobain a little bit because he's such an interesting entity. He's like sort of, he's like a deity in our society. And some people, he's really half. Some people love him, some people hate him. And being older, it's, you know, we all grew up with him on TV and I like Nirvana or whatever. I was in high school, of course. Can't really listen to it anymore. Have nothing against it. I, Can't I, listen to it anymore. Not really. And not even like about a girl. Uh, a little bit, but maybe once a year I'll be just the right kind of high and I'll put it yeah, on. Yeah, just fit. I like Other than that, side album. Moment, right. It's a little bit, I think, you know, it, it is a production thing too. So I like that cover. Yeah. I think the production on that, even though it is a little higher, it's still got a good balance. And, and I think that's part of the reason why, like, maybe punk rock, punk rock guys complain about Nirvana. It has, like, a corporate sheen or whatever. But I was just thinking, like, um, it's interesting how, like, when we were teenagers in the 90s, like... MTV rules for sure. MTV was the apex of its power. They're doing huge festivals and shit. But if you look at all these musicians or so-called rock stars, which is weird because they, they are were total it was good pop rock stars, but they completely pretended that they weren't and acted like they weren't on TV. But behind closed doors, they fucking did. They were the, like the worst of the worst. And. They were snobby as fuck sometimes. It was a snobby time. But what I find interesting is like, if you go to any time period before that, or after that with big time pop stars, the way people dress like um, a certain way, they dress nicer or they're fashionable, or uh, they look like rock stars or whatever it is, you know, everybody, of those bands of when I was in high school, they all dressed down. They all wore t-shirts that were too big. Their hair was messed up. They could barely even talk. They were like, kind of just uh, rambled on. And the thing I find interesting is that's how we sort of, at least for me, it's like, that's how I started out life coming into the working world being like 18. Um, that was my reference. And then eventually, you know, after a few years, it's like, well, I've changed and grown and become a different person and I like all kinds of different music now. I always have, but you have your pop bands from high school. But I realized that like, the world is so far away from that now. It's crazy. But uh, it's just a totally different way of 
uh, of life existing. It, it must have been what it was like to have like the late 60s. You know, with all the hippies and the way they dressed in right. the TV now, 88 and 68 exactly. had a definite relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then even before that, 67 and 87, there was a thing in Seattle where there was the phenomenon of people going, oh, it's the return of the summer of love. But the Mark Arms Sub Pop Green River Mud Honey uh, Communique Fatwa was uh, a summer of fuck. And I think that's a pretty easy uh, way to look at the whole 60s to 80s aesthetic relationship with this stuff that we're talking about. Like alternative bands, rock yeah. culture, summer of love, right, summer of right. fuck. I think I'm just getting at like. Uh, Things in the 90s were seemingly so loose, like it doesn't matter, my clothes don't fit. Uh, oh, the loose one. fit yeah, thing. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, but just like, like Happy Mondays living. actually had a song about that. <laughs> loose, gotta have a loose right. fit. I like that band. I think there was How decadent very... they were. They were kind of punk in their own way. I think the, those bands' interviews were like pretentious. A lot of them, but for the same time as me being a kid, he was always told to shut the fuck up, don't touch anything. Yeah. But I did have wit, which made people mad in Redneck, Pennsylvania. I didn't understand my wit yet. Ain't I didn't understand how it was And like, as, as we're talking about now, I had those references then, but I didn't have anyone to use them on because my friends didn't really, they, like, they got it, but I'm just the average person. But now I feel like, it's, say in 2021, everybody's just so serious all the time. It's like, yeah, we're coming out of COVID, but like, everything's gotta be perfect. And the internet's like, everything's gotta be fast all the time. Like, we gotta point yes. things out about other people. Yeah. We're in the opposite, and it, it's With weird. coded language. Right, there's right. A, there's a name for this, shibboleths, where people are using a word that is a code that means we're in the same club, like a secret, uh, a lot of secret Shibboleth yeah. is, is the definition of that. Yeah. I hate that. <laughs> like a, just a certain culture right. is going to know the meaning of this. Right. And by having this word, they establish uh, you know, their illusion of elitism, etc. The shibboleth. It's a Jewish word. Typically. I love Jews. Jewish. Jews. They, have, Jews? Uh, they have great words for things. They have, but yeah. Oh, right, where well, yeah, the letter is flames. Like, the letter that indicates fire is the shape of flames itself. A certain continuity. Right. Form and function. And, and again, going back, it's like I've been dealing with so many, uh, the bars I've been working at, these older punk rock guys, that's all they want to talk about, and they got their stupid looking hats on, and their sweatshirt, and they're like, they're between 40 to 50 years old, still talking about the half pipe when they saw the descendants. And they see me and it's like, yeah, okay, I'm like a punk rock guy too, but like, I don't, that's not the bane of my existence. And like, I go, wait, I don't like that kind of I like skateboarding the, music. The bane, you're using it like representative of or my dream of existence. Right. But right. instead, bane is like a curse. <laughs> right. It's the curse of my existence is doing right. this shit. But it's a good example of like when something goes from zeitgeist to nostalgia to like this is the leading edge of what's happening right now, you know, as yeah. a cultural being, and then it's nostalgia, you know, a sad parody, 
simulacrum of itself. Yeah, I mean, it is sad. They just they just live in it. And I see them, and they go to the same bar all the time. And they just sit there and wear that punk rock badge. And it's, like, boring to me. It's like... You're right. It is, it is boring if they don't do anything with it. Like, if they right. s- start to make fun of it at the same time that they're doing it, they're, then it's, like, redeemed for me. It's, like, super... It's, it's so ego-driven. But it's not... It doesn't even have but that it, sense of irony. That is, no, to me, I'm talking like, to these really pathetic people. That's what I'm exactly, to say. exactly. Yeah. Where there's no dimension. I'm not saying it. For my listeners, I'm, I'm talking at the microphone with my hand. I'm not talking about everybody <laughs> like that. And I know some of <laughs> you are my fans. The gesture is emphatic. But people that, are, that listen to the show emphatic know what the, the hell I'm talking about. It's that kind of Southern California, SoCal, kind of Orange yeah. County, it's like shit. ballers. Yeah. I guess they see me and then they're like, first of all, those people always think I'm fancy for some reason. It's a fancy You know, I have shiny boots, okay. And like, I'm, I'm like them, but I'm more like, I'm refined. Oh my god, I read books. I talk well, and I don't know, then they, they want to test me then, so then they want to talk a little bit of shit under their breath, and that's another thing that's driving me crazy, people that talk under their breath, either say what you're going to say, or don't say it well, within your show. once again, I think there's a classist concern there, because the working class code of honor would be to not be evasive, but to be direct. The bourgeois uh, code of being subtext is avoid confrontation. Don't have to put up with this. This person is so far removed from your station. I can take you to energy intention. So that's the classist dimension that exists in that shit that's going down. Like, didn't even know it, you know? Like, I was uh, I was writing a novel at the time, but I wasn't performing my stuff. I didn't have, like, a persona or anything. But I don't know. I feel like shortly thereafter, like, I wasn't, like, super into Motorhead, but I, like, became, like, really into Motorhead. I started wearing a lot more black, and I just got my music taste went more simple. Like, forget all this high-production bullshit. Getting this in the and some real songs for real people. People that just drink beer and stuff like that. Or before I was a little bit more out there and like, uh, it's not a bad thing, but I was like more into, uh, I wouldn't say I was more into electronic music, but I was into electro- electronic music a lot more and that's what I made and I was 
doing like ecstasy and I was wearing color and stuff like that even though it's still more of like a dark punk rock thing but yeah I think that totally it just yeah it sounds like a Leibach to Stooges sort of a sphere of being if I make an association of like yeah. that Leibach slash Stooges I think I really just struggle with uh, bringing things into focus and just being who I really am all the time, but also knowing who you are. And that for me is just another symptom of the way I started out in life. Because I wasn't really allowed to be a character. I was just supposed to be quiet in my room and just, you know, be abused by my dad, essentially. Be abused by your dad? Yeah. Can you elaborate? Um, I'm not much I want to get into it on here, but yeah, I was just raised by a really sadistic, really sadistic guy, and uh, really controlled, and uh, up until, like, recently, I've always kind of, like, I haven't talked to my family in over 20 years at this point, okay, and I don't yeah, sure. plan on, like, nobody. 20 year family. estrangement. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. So, I, I used to blow it off and be like... Kind of like, you know, like a normal person, like, well, things happen, and it's like, well, they're pieces of shit, but whatever, I gotta live my life, I gotta be happy, I gotta figure it out. But now I'm realizing, like, especially these last two jobs I got, and kind of struggling socially more than it seems, um, I'm realizing there is a, like, my child that did me a lot more damage than I, than I really, like, fathom. So that's... That's really kind of helped me, but it makes me realize that I need to take time and figure that out and uh, do healing that I didn't even know I needed to, things I didn't even know needed to, didn't know I needed to heal, to put it that way. So, yeah, and I, so I think this, that kind of sparked this journey of like, who am I, you know, because I've had musical personas too, I've had different names. Now, like, I'm, probably, I'm gonna be that well until I die because I'm gonna keep writing my stuff and having my band. Yeah, it's a good brand. But it's, uh, yeah, if you want to look at it like that, <laughs> yeah, well, it actually you, somehow it is. You branded yourself with yeah. that very tight. Right. Um, and, but it just has a, you know, a lot of potential. Like, once again, uh, like leading towards you know, irony when that provides the most energy is one that right. is so appealing. This, this I think, is the saving grace of the whole Gen X problem of the elitist mumblecore. Is that with the, the Gen X array of characteristics, the requisite irony that must be included in everything is right. like one thing I'm I'm proud of in my generation. Like we invented. Absolutely. That's big. And that probably came out of that whole 90s MTV thing. Whatever. Gen X invented it. Whatever. <laughs> okay? I mean, right there. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. We're, that's <laughs> apex predator shit. <laughs> Whatever. I'm, so I'm proud. I've heard, um, so you know that band Pavement? Steve yeah. Yeah. Okay, sure. so this dude, that's really a very literate, you know, cool rocker. Mm-hmm. Fun, you know, awful and queer, uh, and he has referred to a thing he calls Gen X tranquility. Gen X tranquility 
like it would be unique to financially secure Gen Xers, such as cultural bohemics as Stephen Hawking's. But I still yeah. dig the idea that the Gen X is uh, so detached from all of the fiery aspects of the zeitgeist that we have an eternal tranquility. It's a nice notion, but I find it a problematic one. I'm sick of it. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'm sick of also people still to this day, ironically, being like, I'm into things that suck, but, you know, that kind of makes me cool. It's like, well, no, you're just into stupid shit. And you're, you're, you're shit. I mean, being into, what in, be into whatever you're into, but, like, you don't got to be, like, weird about it. You know what well, I mean? Well, that's interesting. So I think, to some extent, someone could be in a position where life is so absurd that, you know, yes, I have to be weird about every fucking thing. Because right. I'm, I'm sending out a signal that everything is fucked. And so yeah. I think that is the purpose that some people can just naturally play out in life. They're almost like a work of art at that point, where they're reflecting the problems of the zeitgeist. Well, I must make everything weird. Yeah. Because it's just my natural agenda, my psychological reaction to what the fuck is going on. Right. You know, these people can serve as you know, barometers of the disease within the shared consciousness. So it can be shitty, but intriguing. Yeah, maybe it's that whole, I forget what the, the word you use, but it's that, that ego. Haha, ha, I like to watch Desperate Housewives on TV. But Even I don't mean it. Dinosaur Jr. I don't <laughs> mean it, though. I want yeah, it, but I yeah, don't mean right, it. Right. You know, um, well, that is, <laughs> if, you know, if you're so comfy that you can do that shit, know you're doing it, and get a kick out of it, then, you know, good for you. But it's, it's just... It, it's a kind of level of success to be, yeah. that, you know, sublimely insulated. It's just so, it's like, I understand at the time what they were doing, but it's just so anti-rock and roll. <laughs> anti-rock and roll! Rock and roll, the punk I'm rock. talking like the best, deepest part of rock and roll, but yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know, there's just somewhere that along the line you can be... Somewhere between like Lemmy and David Bowie, you Lemmy can have your yeah. hard edge and have your glam and have your mm -hmm. Lou Reed in the middle of your, the thinking mm -hmm. line. Right. You know, there's an interesting aspect to heavy metal. I read a critique once that referred to the defeatism of heavy metal, like the adolescent young adult who knows that life is fucked and will never do better than working at this factory. Right. This product of heavy metal will function as my release mechanism for my despair, right. but I don't believe that there's any way to make things better. Right. It's a kind of defeatism that's in heavy metal. It never has like that inspiring, up-twang kick of like psychedelic rock, right. like garage rock, which has a kind of hope to it. Metal yeah. is often hopeless and it really digs into the anger there. And by having an expression of anger, you're mm. getting revenge, right. and revenge is pleasure. Pleasure yeah. is power, power is joy. Right. And so, so we get to these levels of joy, and I find in a lot of uh, the stuff I read that they abandon the English language. And the French have this term, joissance, which sounds like joy sauce, perhaps? Joissance, and it's about being in enjoyment to the point of pain. 
Like, there is no English definition of the word, but it is representative of some sort of zenith of psychological, corporeal experience, joissance, like the joy that arrives at the boundary of what you can bear as pleasure. Is one one reading that I've gotten out of one reading, and I think there's more, but it's just interesting when like, there are these French terms, these foreign terms that approach all the aspects of catharsis that we're talking about. You're getting like into like, the, the ineffable. <laughs> Sounds like a bond. Like a bond, like a masochist. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joissance and BDSM have a resonance, definitely a relationship. Mm-hmm. But with um, joissance then having no direct definition in English suggests this whole other realm of reality. Like once. run, but there is a cost for doing this here radio thing, so we rely on you for donations or monthly patronage through patreon.com, sales of our Shady Pines radio swag, and advertising. So, you know, if you want to do a little advertising, say for your small business, your band, or an upcoming event, well that's something we'd like to talk to you about. We can create affordable ads that play throughout the day, attracting people to your cause. And the ad revenue you provide goes towards keeping this volunteer radio station going and growing. Give it some thought and connect with us at ShadyPinesRadio at gmail.com. Let's help each other out. And thanks for listening. Shady Pines Radio. Star Wars. <laughs> the Muppets. Hi ho, Grimothy Frog here. Ghostbusters. Who you gonna call? Michael Jackson. <laughs> Red Dawn. Avenge me! Boys, avenge me! Miami Vice. Calderon! Saturday morning cartoons. Ruh-roh. War games. Welcome to Gen X Files. Shall we play a game? The Gen X Files. With Jim and Adam. Tuesdays at 9 a.m. On Shady Pines Radio.